Daniel chapter 10, and that is on page 793 in your pew Bible. And so, uh, would you pray with me as we lean into God's Word this morning? Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would still our hearts, Lord, that you would help us to hear you. Lord, that as I speak, I would be hearing you as well. So, Father, preach your word to your people this morning. Call us to yourself, whether it be for the first time or for the millionth. Lord, comfort us by your Holy Spirit that we might see the face of Jesus this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. And so my, my question for us this morning is this. Is the church victorious? Is, is the church victorious? And it's, it's one of these things where we could, if I was a high school teacher, I could say, okay, so if you say no, go on this side. And if you say yes, go on this side. I'll give you five minutes to come up with your arguments, and then we're going to have a friendly debate, right? And my hunch is there would be a lot of people standing in the middle, kind of saying, well, that's a trick question, isn't it? And I'd say, yeah, yeah, it is. Um, Because in some ways, yes, the church's victory is secure in Christ. And we see people's lives redeemed and transformed by the power of God through faith in Jesus. Sinners are becoming holy. Addicts are experiencing freedom. Broken families can find restoration. And those who are lost and without hope discover life and joy in a new relationship with God. We see that happening among you this morning. At the same time, we can look around and see churches struggling to stay open, Christian leaders being shown as hypocrites, children leaving the faith, laws being passed within our country that are contrary to biblical teaching, Christians around the world being persecuted and killed for simply believing the gospel. And this can be enough to make the most faithful among us wonder if God has forgotten his promise to the church. This promise that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, but our eyeballs sometimes tell us a different story, don't they? This is a similar situation to what we see in Daniel 10. And so if you're joining us for the first time this morning, we have been walking through the book of Daniel for the last few months and considering what does it look like to live faithfully as exiles in a culture that is different from our own. That at this point in the book of Daniel, he has lived in Babylon for 70 years. He has lived through the reign of multiple kings. He has seen the empire go from the Babylonian kingdom to the Persian kingdom. The original readers of Daniel's book, right, because Daniel likely wrote it towards the end of his life and sent it back to Israel with the faithful exiles who were returning so that they would be encouraged by his first-hand account 
of how God has continued to provide, to speak, to protect, and to guide his people while they were in exile and resettling the land in Israel. And so, would you read along with me Daniel chapter 10. In the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. The message was true. It was about a great conflict. He understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. I didn't eat any rich food. No meat or wine entered my mouth, and I didn't put any oil on my body until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there was a man dressed in linen, with a belt of gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the brilliance of lightning, his eyes like the flaming torches, and his arms like feet that gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Only I, Daniel, saw the vision. The men who were with me did not see it, but a great terror fell on them, and they ran and hid. I was left alone, looking at this great vision. No strength was left in me. My face grew deathly pale, and I was powerless. I heard the words he said, and when I heard them, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Suddenly, a hand touched me and set me shaking on my hands and knees. He said to me, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Understand the words that I'm saying to you. Stand on your feet, for I have been sent to you. After he said this to me, I stood trembling. Don't be afraid, Daniel, he said to me. For from the first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your prayers were heard. I have come because of your prayers. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, one of the chief princes came to help me after I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the last days, for the vision refers to those days. And while he was saying these words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and was speechless. Suddenly one with human likeness touched my lips. I opened my mouth and said to the one standing in front of me, My Lord, because of the vision, anguish overwhelms me, and I am powerless. How can someone like me, your servant, speak with someone like you, my Lord? Now I have no strength, and there is no breath in me. Then the one with a human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. He said, don't be afraid, you who are treasured by God. Peace to you. Be very strong. As he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. He said, do you know why I've come to you? 
I must return at once to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I leave, the prince of Greece will come. However, I will tell you what is recorded in the book of truth. No one has the courage to support me against those princes except Michael, your prince. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to strengthen and protect him. So that's easy, right? I mean, I know it's the go-to joke, right, Cody? But like, it's like, what do we, what do, we do with this? Because it's weird. But this is God's word given for his people to have courage to endure. To comfort them in their mourning. And so here's how we're going to tackle this passage. I want to walk together through some of the important events happening in the background of this passage. And then we're going to look at the two characters involved. At the messenger, and then at Daniel, and then pull together together those common threads um, at the end to help us understand this vision that was given to encourage us to live with endurance when we are discouraged. And so first, the background. Verse 1 begins, in the, year, in the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. The message was true and was about a great conflict. He understood the message and had understanding of the vision. It's interesting, a few things. First, um, this is one of the few places, this is the only place in the, the last half of Daniel where he's referred to by his Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. That he, as an old man, um, is once again being, we are reminded that he is in exile. Uh, that he is not in Israel, he is in Babylon as an exile. And it's interesting that we can actually know the exact date for when this vision takes place. You see that? In the third year of King Cyrus, on the 24th day of the, of the month of Nisan. So it was on the 24th day of Nisan in the year 536 B.C. Because we know from historical records that Cyrus became the, the king in 539. And B.C. works, counts down, right? B.C. counts down. So it's 536, it's the year 536, 24th day of Nisan, and here we see Daniel fasting. Right? Daniel's fasting. Why? Because he's mourning. And in the first month of the Jewish calendar, Passover is right in the middle of it. Isn't that interesting? So Daniel, in exile, with what we know about Daniel as this faithful man who prays daily facing Jerusalem, longing for the fulfillment of the land of God's people. And he fasts through Passover. He doesn't observe Passover because he is fasting. Full of grief and anguish. Over what? What would make Daniel, this faithful man, Fast through the high holy day of Passover? Well, we also know 
that as of the date of this vision that took place, the first wave of Jewish exiles had been sent back to Israel two years prior. Because in the first year of Cyrus's reign, he sent the exiles back to Jerusalem. And where do we see Daniel? In Babylon. Now we don't know why he didn't join them. Maybe Cyrus said, they can go, but I need you here. Maybe Daniel just felt like he was just too old and weak for that difficult journey. Maybe he thought that he could do more good for Israel, advocating for them in the capital of Babylon while the exiles go and rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls, and start the kingdom of Israel from scratch again. But by the time of this vision, it's been two years, and the men and women in Israel are facing incredible setbacks. The people who settled the land during the exile weren't thrilled that the Jews were back. Right? I mean, the, the land, the cities, they weren't just empty for those 70 years. That people had built houses, built societies, had families, and now they're displaced when Israel returns, and they weren't happy about it. Listen to what we see in Ezra chapter 3. Remember, these are happening at the same time. Different books of the Bible, overlapping history. When the builders had laid the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests dressed in their robes and holding trumpets, and the Levites descended from Asaph, holding cymbals, took their positions to praise the Lord as the king of Israel as King David of Israel had instructed. They sang with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord, for he is good and his faithful love to Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's house had been laid. But many of the older priests, Levites, and family heads who had seen the first temple wept loudly when they saw the foundation of this temple. But many others shouted joyfully. The people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shouting from that of the weeping, because the people were shouting so loudly, and the sound was heard far away. So why would the older generation weep while the younger celebrated? Because Solomon's temple, the original temple, was massive. It was ornate and beautiful, and imposing. And this one seems like a mini temple. When you compare the size of the footprint, they think, is this what God sent us back to build? We spend 70 years in exile, and we come back for this? Is this what's happened to the glory of Israel? That we get this as our new temple? Where is our greatness? Where is the glory of God? Where is the fulfillment of his promise to reestablish the kingdom of Israel? This is what we get? And the younger generation didn't know any better. But Daniel 
dead. He remembered the first temple. And as he's getting reports of what's happening back in Babylon, remember, he was high-ranking political official. He would have had insider information that others would not have. He understood the political danger of the other tribes around them who wanted to kill the exiles. And now, in the midst of their physical danger, he sees and hears about the size of the temple. And it's just too much. And he is grieving. And he is mourning. He says, this isn't like the good old days. I remember when I was a kid, the church was huge. Everyone was coming. Everyone was talking about the Lord. Everyone was quoting Scripture. We could pray with freedom. Everyone would flock to the temple, to the church. When they had problems, they turned to the Lord. Now, they have this? I think we can understand that struggle, can't we? This is a fairly identifiable mourning and grief that Daniel is grieving in this passage. So what happens? The Lord sends an angelic messenger. And the the immediate question here for us is, who is it? Who is this strange person, being, angel? Who is it? Well, there's a few options. The first option that some people jump to is they think that it's the pre-incarnate Christ. It's a fancy way of saying that it was God the Son, right? God is the Trinity, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. God the Son existed before Christmas, right? God the Son existed forever, for all eternity. And he became a person who we know as Jesus Christ. In flesh, he was born on Christmas Day, but Jesus has always existed. Jesus has always saved and rescued his people. God the Son has always existed and cared for and provided for and rescued his children. So it's um, some people say that that is who this is because there are some overtones that I don't have time this morning to really dig up and explore with you. Uh, but there are some key words and phrases that seem to overlap with other places where God the Son appears in a vision uh, to other people in the Old Testament. So some people think that, but why would he talk about being detained by the prince of Persia for 21 days? Doesn't that seem strange? Like, Jesus couldn't defeat whoever this prince of Persia is? That's, that's weird. Because I thought that Jesus had all authority. That God spoke creation into existence, but he couldn't overcome this? And so we don't know all the details of who is this prince of Persia. Uh, Is this an angel? Or is this an actual historical person? Um, Daniel knew. (laughs) But we don't really know. But there is a clear sense of overlap of God's, God's provision and a spiritual warfare that overlaps with human history and with political power. 
So there's some fuzzy and uncertain realm of spiritual conflict and battle going on in this passage. And it's strange to me to think that this could be Jesus and he was being detained and held back by this other spiritual warfare and he needed to call in Michael for backup to overcome. So others think, okay, so it's not the pre-incarnate Christ, so maybe it's, it's the angel Gabriel, because Gabriel uh, gave the vision in Daniel 9, and there's some similarities in how they're described, but if that's the case, then why wouldn't Daniel just say, and Gabriel returned to me? I don't know, Daniel seems like a smart dude, <laughs> so that would have been really helpful, but he didn't say that. So others think that maybe there are two messengers. There's the, the one standing on the, on the water, and then there's the one who touches his lips. And it, it's just interesting um, how unclear the details of this appearance and of who this angelic messenger is. And that gets me to my point of saying, if we were supposed to know every detail of these types of visions, then they would be provided for us. So instead, it seems safest to me to simply say it was an angel. It wasn't Roma Downey. You know, it wasn't this cherub. It wasn't this touched by an angel, like popular, oh, an angel type. Like, it was an imposing figure coming face-to-face with a heavenly being and like, oh, I am unworthy. So I think we can forgive all the particular details that we want to ask not being included here because the details aren't the point. The point is that God heard Daniel's prayers God cared for Daniel so much that he sent an angel to go and comfort him, to strengthen him. So what was the angel's message? He said first, Daniel, right, verse 11 and 18, he says, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Understand the words I'm saying to you. Stand up on your feet, for I have now been sent to you. And then verse 18 again, Don't be afraid, you who are treasured by God. Peace to you. Be very strong. The angel was sent to comfort Daniel, to give him a vision for endurance. And he leads off by talking about how much the Lord treasures Daniel. And my question, I guess, is, is this a specific promise to Daniel? Is this a statement about how much the Lord treasures Daniel? Because Daniel is Daniel. Or is this a statement about how the Lord treasures his people? Because just for sake of good biblical study... We don't want to just read every promise and every statement that we read in the Bible and say, oh, I like that. It must apply to me. Right? That, that's not a good method of Bible study. Oh, I like that. It must apply to me. That I don't like that. That doesn't apply to me. That, that's, that's not how we should read our Bibles. So, 
when the Lord comes to Daniel and says, you are a man treasured by God, can, can we take that statement as a statement that God would say about us? Well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16. Similarly, we read in Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, we read this. Listen to this. I pray that he, the Lord, may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love? And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God's love for His children is immeasurable. I mean, honestly, imagine... Imagine me as a preacher standing up here saying, I can't promise you that God loves you. Sit in that uncertainty for a second. So when you're tempted to hear the preacher say, God loves you, and to take that and say, yeah, I know. I grew up here. I've heard that forever. Imagine hearing the opposite. Imagine living in uncertainty about whether or not God loves you. God, who spoke creation into existence. God, who is holy. Who is totally different from you, from me. That God treasures his children. Is there anything more comforting than that? Second, the angel comes to reassure him that God is at work in a thousand ways that he cannot see. The angel explains to Daniel that he's now come to help you understand what will happen in these last days. In verse 21, he elaborates, I will tell you what's recorded in the book of truth. So what's this all mean? After all, there's a lot of confusing stuff in the book of Daniel. One thing is clear. God knows what he's doing. God is still at work. His plan for Israel and for the nations isn't in jeopardy. Yes, the temple may be smaller. Yes, there is opposition. But Daniel, you are treasured by God. And there is more going on in the world than you realize. God is fighting for his people in ways you cannot see. Daniel, if you could see all the ways that God has protected you, you would be astounded. Yes, Daniel, there is reason to grieve and to mourn. 
But there are so many more reasons to grieve and mourn than you are even aware of that the Lord has rescued you from and is actively fighting on your behalf to guard you and to reestablish you in the promised land. So how does Daniel respond to this? Well, he is utterly terrified and overcome by his weakness. It's helpful to remember that at this point, Daniel's been living on a very basic diet and with no oils for his skin in a desert climate. He's been living this way for three weeks, and he's in his 80s. He's an elderly saint who is fasting for three weeks in the desert and comes face to face with a holy angel. And the angel touches Daniel three times in this passage. He has fallen down, face down, in the dirt. And upon the first touch in verse 10, Daniel is picked up off the ground, set on his hands and knees, and able to stand upright. In the second touch, in verse 16, the angel touches his lips, and Daniel is able to speak. But what does he say? He says, I have no strength and there is no breath in me. And then finally, the angel touches him again. And Daniel receives strength and peace. And I'm astounded that God's word has the power to actually do what it commands. You see that? He's already said multiple times, Daniel, get up and talk to me. Daniel, get up and talk to me. Daniel, get up and talk to me. And all he can handle is just saying, like, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I have, I have nothing to give. I have nothing to offer. I'm so weak and fearful. Imagine if the angel just said, God, what is up with this guy? I mean, this is the one you treasure? Are you sure I went to the right address? This guy. Okay. But God's word does what it commands. He says, Daniel, be strong. And very courageous. That sounds familiar to the exiles walking through the promised land on the verge of entering into Canaan, doesn't it? And so what's the point for us today? So what? Two things. Daniel's vision was given to inspire faithful endurance, and it still does in these two ways. He says, First, that God is at work in a thousand ways we are not aware of. That God treasures his people and he provides for them. He provides for us. The temple may be smaller than it was decades ago, but God is establishing his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. 
The faithful remnant might be a remnant rather than the populace. But God is building his church. Lives are being transformed and people are being saved despite the persecution and opposition that we read about in the news. The angel was battling the prince of Persia for 21 days. How long is that? Three weeks. How long was Daniel fasting and praying for? What does that say about prayer? And what does that say when I just give up praying for people, for things, for problems? It says there's way more going on than I'm aware of. Don't give up praying. I don't know all the details of what you might be mourning and grieving in your life. But I want to say this. That God fights for his people. Not only when they're watching, but in ways that you are not even able to behold unless God sends you an angel who peels back the curtain. Second, is take comfort in the Lord's grace towards you because God's word still accomplishes what it commands. John Bunyan was an English pastor in the 17th century who wrote the well-known story of Pilgrim's Progress. And he also wrote this little poem. It says, Run, John, run, the law commands, but neither gives but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. I love that. Because the gospel gives us what we need to actually do what God says. Where the law says, mush, mush, mush. And whereas the Jewish law said keep the commandments and be holy, the gospel declares grace for sinners and actually clothes us in the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we might enter into God's presence and not fall down in a puddle of terror and dread and weakness, but to stand with peace. Because we know that we are clothed not in our righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so, if you are sitting here and thinking, you know what, I would like to give God a piece of my mind. Let Daniel be your warning. And he was a holy man. No one comes face to face with an angel and says, excuse me, I'd like to talk with your boss. They come face to face with an angel and go, <gasps> and then they pass out. <laughs> but in Christ, we receive 
what God commands. And we rest in the assurance that we really are treasured by God. That He is still very much at work. And so is the mission of the church secure? It is. The church is victorious because it is the body of Christ. And we are His people. Our security is as certain as the holiness of God. Daniel was mourning and fasting because his eyeballs told him a different story. Friends, don't trust your eyeballs. Trust God's word. He will accomplish what he commands. And he will fulfill every promise in his time. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we ask that you would strengthen us by your word. Lord, that you would help us to trust your word, not our eyes. Lord, that we would behold the righteousness of Christ that is for us, that accomplishes what you command. And so help us to endure, to walk with faith and with trust in the midst of our mourning and grieving. Lord, you are so good. And we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.